1: You are the church, not this building, you. You are the church, which means we are a church without walls, fully engaged, serving the people of our community. That's why we do what we do. That's why we have a Sabbath where we say, you know what? Sabbath isn't just about us. In fact, you know what? It's not about us. It's about something bigger. It's about God's love. It's about his rest. And it's about us sharing that rest by serving. And that's why this Sabbath, you went out and did some pretty awesome stuff we uh had Richard and Darlene and uh and and some other folks that were over at the hospital and put on a little mini worship service for people that were going through uh the lobby I uh, I actually watched a couple people shed tears you know people over there people walking through that lobby you don't know what they're going through do you But this church is a church without walls, fully engaged in serving the people of our community where they're at, not making them come to where we're at. And so we also wanted to say thank you. So we had people that were here putting together little thank you packages for those of you who went out and served. We had another group that was at the Children's Church of Orlando putting together some amazing things at that church and doing some important work over there. We're grateful for that. And then we had uh, food that was being handed out in Orange County. Isn't that awesome? And so we're going to actually show you a whole slideshow of what happened this Sabbath, next Sabbath. And if the word Sabbath is a new one to you, that's the word that we usually were going to refer to as the hours between sundown on Friday. It's sundown on Saturday, okay? If that's a new word to you, just want to throw it out there for you, say no, okay? So we're going to go ahead and show you more pictures later. But I wanted just to say how proud of you I am. This is what church is supposed to be. You are the church, and you are being what God wants church to be. Love is. That's what we're talking about. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for loving us. You certainly have served us. Everything that we have comes from you, from the breath that we breathe out to the place that we stayed last night to the food that we ate. It's all you. Lord, forgive us for where we take credit for that, but it's all you. And we thank you that you love us that much and we want to love others that much. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. So, uh, we are in the middle of this series. We're actually kind of getting close to the end of the series, to be honest with you. Uh, this week and two more. And we'll be done with the Love Is series. A little sad about that, but we've got another great series coming up after that, Simply Christmas. Looking forward to that. Um, can you believe we're that close? Yeah, right? So, uh, I thought it would just be good for us to read 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7, which is the basis of our of our sermon series together. So, I'd love it if you'd read it with me. Here we go. I said it a couple times. You remember me saying that first uh, John tells us that God is love, and so we can actually substitute God's name in place of the word love here. So let's go ahead and read it that way now. You ready to read it that way? Let's do it together. God is patient and kind, God is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude, God does not demand its own way, God is not irritable. And God keeps no record of being wronged. God does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. God never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. I think for some people that may change their view of God. When you read it that way, when you see that God is these things, I think for some who have been raised in a world that portrays religion as a lot of different things, this may be a surprise that this is who God is. And I wonder if you would tell me something. Today, this is what we're going to be talking about. God keeps no record of being wronged. I wonder wonder if you believe that. Or is this Ken actually substituting the word God in when he shouldn't? Because does does God keep a record of being wronged? I'd love to know what you think. Let's do a poll. Let's do a a live poll. And so go to menti.com. And uh, by the way, if you're viewing online, I would love for you to go ahead and come online and take a look at that, okay? It's going to be right there. Just go to menti.com. You're going to type in 7535-5162. 75355162 sounds like a song or something. Anyway, 75355162. Type that in at menti.com and tell me. It's just a simple yes or no question. Does God keep a record of how we've wronged him? And let's go ahead and take a look at what you're saying. I'd love to see what you think about this. So, we're going to go and we're going to take a peek and we're going to see what you think based on What's the, uh, what's the Minty? Minty.com, 7535-5162. 5162, if you need 7535-5162. So uh, are we ready to go ahead and take a look at the uh, screen and see what, uh, what you're saying? We're going to have a live graphic, I hope, here of your input on if God keeps a record of how we've wronged him, what you think. And based on that, we may or may not have a sermon today. Okay. <laughs> Does God keep a record of how we have wronged him? 34% of you right now are saying yes. About 67, is kind of going back and forth on it. We have about 85 people, 87 now have responded. But again, it's about a one-third split. One-third of you say yes, God does keep track. And then two-thirds of you say no, God doesn't keep a record of, of how he's wronged him. So clearly we need to have a sermon today. Let's do that. Let's have a sermon after all. Um yeah, you thought yeah. There we go. So here we go. Let's go ahead and take a look at uh at this next slide. This is one of my favorite far side cartoons ever. Um, because I think it's the way that a lot of people view God. Gary Larson had this cartoon, fantastic. Always looked forward to it when it would come out when I was younger. And in this particular cartoon, God's on his computer. Poor Joe has a piano dangling over his head, and God has His finger hovering over the smite button, right? And I don't know if, if the, if I don't know what was in Gary's mind when he made the cartoon. Whether he thought there, at what point God decides to hit the button and doesn't. But I think for some people, the viewpoint is that when that record of wrongs gets too high, God hits the button and uh, suddenly resets poor Joe. Uh, resets poor Joe. <laughs> to here. All right. Uh, this is a uh, an amazing portrait. I'm using that a little sarcastically. Uh, done sometime between 1650 and the 1700s. It was by um, a follower of Hieronymus Bosch. Bosch, uh, his great calling in life was to paint uh, paintings of hell. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess we all have our callings, right? So, But in this, one of his followers uh, has this picture of a a person basically being dragged um, by an angel into hell. Um, And honestly, if you think about it, I mean, hell is kind of the ultimate uh, get even, isn't it? Right? I mean, you've been naughty. You haven't done what God wanted. And so now God goes ahead and burns you for all eternity. Right? It's, I, I used to have a friend who said that he didn't get even, he got ahead. And it would seem that that would be what's happening here if that's who God is. God's not getting even, he's getting ahead. You've been naughty for 70 years, 80 years, 90 years, and you get, uh, because you've been naughty, you get to be tortured, not for 70 or 80 or 90 years, but forever. Because in some people's view, God keeps a record. He checks it twice. He finds out who's been naughty or nice. Oh, wait, I'm getting my metaphor. <laughs> but isn't that interesting? So much of Christendom and this world views God as a, as a kind of an angry Santa who doesn't just withhold the gift, but actually gives out a punishment afterwards. Is that God, who God is? Is God keeping track? Well, um if like me you grew up reading some bible verses like this one you might have an idea about it we're going to go back to that one This is what Revelation 20 verses 12 and 15 say And I saw the dead the great and the small standing before the throne and the books were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds and if anyone's name was found, not found, written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So it looks like God keeps some records, doesn't it? Right? I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. The books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things that were written in the books according to their deeds. Well, that was a quick sermon. Case closed. Here's why I want to talk to you about this today, because so far I've been kind of applying it to you, right? I've been saying, oh, don't be irritable. Today's is don't hold a grudge. Jesus said something interesting. Jesus said something interesting. He said, but you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. So if God holds grudges, does that mean we get to too? If God keeps a record of how he's being wronged, can we do the same? So, today, I'm not actually going to be tackling you and your grudges and who you're holding a grudge with because I think we have to tackle first the bigger question Is God a grudge holder? Does God have this cosmic book where he writes down everything you've done that's naughty? And then when the end, we kind of weigh out in the balance. And if you've been good enough, or if you, if you haven't made him particularly angry because you committed some special sin that's worse than all the others, go ahead, and you can fill in your own blank on what that is. I'll, I'll not get myself in trouble. But if you commit some special sin, does that mean that God's like, well, that stacked a deck against you, sorry about that. Or does he even say say sorry about that as he goes, yes, take that. That'll teach you to crucify my son. I tackle this because maybe, I don't know, maybe whole life doesn't have an issue with this. Maybe whole life views God as, as very loving and wonderful and all that good stuff. But I want you to know that there's a lot of people who have not been raised with that idea of who God is. And when I work outside of Christian circles, the, the biggest hang-up for people who are somewhere on the margin of whether they want to accept Christianity and, and, and accept this idea of Christianity is this whole idea of whether God's a grudge holder. It's kind of mean. So I think one of the things that will help us is actually take this verse in its context, but you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Firstly, that sounds pretty daunting, Right? So the standard, by the way, to get into heaven is to be perfect as God is perfect. Well, there, there we go. (laughs) And just in case you didn't feel daunted enough, this is what that looks like, okay? Let's take a look at what that looks like. (laughs) Sorry about that. Will somebody advance the slide for me? Oh, there we go. Here we go. Uh, you've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, and this is Jesus talking, by the way, so we can take this as pretty good authority, right? But I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, In that way you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. And then there's another verse that comes after that. There we go. If, (laughs) We're having some fun with the, uh, there we go, okay. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that, but you starting to get some context now, don't we? But you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. I want you to notice that word, the to be. You you are to be. That's aspirational language. This is what God is asking you to strive for. God is asking you to strive to be like this, to love those who don't love you, to be kind to those who are unkind to you, to do good things for people who don't do good things for you. This is God's call on the Christian life. And it's a pretty tall order. And Jesus is saying, that's who God is. Now that does not sound like a grudge holder to me. Does it sound like a grudge holder to you? It sure doesn't sound like somebody who's keeping track of how they've been wronged. Somebody who does good to those who are not doing good to them. So, Let's go ahead and take a look at a couple other verses. Maybe, maybe Jesus was just a softy. Maybe the maybe he's just you know, you know that that New Testament stuff is you know we need to get into that Old Testament where you know where we get to really see who God is. Let's take a look at Psalms. We're going to take a look at the Book of Psalms, um, the uh, 130th chapter, verse three. And the Bible says in Psalms, Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, did you catch that? Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who, O Lord, would ever survive? But you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. Isn't that interesting? The psalmist, this is the Old Testament, not the New Testament. This is the Old Testament. The psalmist says, if you kept a record. Who could, who could survive? In other words, the fact of the matter is that if God's keeping a record on us, no matter how good you are, you're probably in trouble. Because we all do some things that aren't particularly great. And then there's a text that's found both in Jeremiah and in Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews actually quotes this verse. It says, I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. God is not a grudge holder. God is not a grudge holder. He doesn't hold a grudge and go, oh, look at what you did. And if you caught that, what you caught the implication is, is if we ask for forgiveness, then God forgives our sins. So then what does that mean? Does that mean that if you hurt me, I get to hold a grudge until you ask for forgiveness? Is that what God does? God says, well, I'm holding a grudge until you ask for forgiveness. I will get even with you. But if you ask for forgiveness, then I'll forget it. I think we can get some help out of the book of Colossians on this. In Colossians, Paul writes this in chapter two, verses 13 through 14 but you were dead because of your sins. And because your sinful nature was not yet cut away, then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. You catch that? While we were yet sinners, while we were yet sinners, God canceled the record through Jesus. Look, but I want you to think about that for a second. Take a look at that. He canceled the record of the charges against us. The charge, who's making charges against us? Who's making charges? Is that Jesus? No, he died for us. So maybe that's God. Because maybe God's making charges against us. No. Now, not what the Bible says. Revelation 12, 10 makes it very clear who makes charges against human beings. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down. The one accuses them before our God day and night. If you read that passage, it's very clear that this person is Satan. It's not Jesus who's accusing you. It's not God who's accusing you. It's Satan who's accusing you. It's Satan who's keeping a record. Think about that for a minute. Satan's keeping a record of you. And wouldn't that make sense? Because if God is love and Satan's the opposite, who keeps the record? Satan. Satan keeps a record. He's the one accusing you. God's on your side. God's on your side, but Satan's keeping a record. So let's go ahead and take a a quick look at one more thing here. There we go. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with each other. (laughs) Then those who uh, feared the Lord spoke with each other, and the Lord listened to what they said. In his presence, a scroll scroll of remembrance was written to record the names of those who feared him and always thought about the honor of his name. They will be my people, says the Lord of heaven's armies. On the day when I act in judgment, they will be my own special treasure. I will spare them as a father spares an obedient child. So I want you to know that God does keep a record, but you know what that record is? That's a record of life, not of death. You feel me? You feel what I'm saying? It's a record of life, not a record of death. God is for you. And you know what? The, the ticket here is? In his, I saw the dead in the great and small stain before the throne. The books were, oh, I'm sorry. We went ahead a slide too quick. My bad. I got so excited. I must've advanced myself there. Um, then those who feared the Lord spoke with each other and the Lord listened to what they said in his presence. A scroll of remembrance was written and record the names of those who feared him and always thought about the honor of his name. Folks, I want you to know something. It's not about who you, what you're doing. It's about who you're wanting to be like. It's about who you've turned your life over to. And that does matter. Thy will be done. That matters. It can't be Ken's will be done. When it's Ken's will that be done, Satan gets to accuse me. And God says, I'm here for him if he wants me to be. But thy will be done. As C.S. Lewis said, in the end, there are two classes of people. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, thy will be done. Think about it. But God's not keeping, he's not keeping a record because he's mad at you. Because he's wanting to bring charges against you. Look very carefully now that you've seen this verse at Revelation. Let's read it again. And I saw the dead, the great and the small standing before the throne and books were opened. But check out this. And another book was opened. You hear me? Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things that were written in the books according to their deeds. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into a lake of fire. So hear me on this. What's written in the other books does not matter if your name is written in the book of life. See, that's the book that matters. That's the book that matters. The other books don't matter. I'm not saying, yeah. Love it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you get to just go about being mean, nasty, and unkind. That's not at all what this sermon's about. This sermon is saying that we're all mean, nasty, and unkind. We all need the grace of Jesus, and in order for us to receive that grace, we need our names to be written, and the only book that matters, the book of life, that's the book that matters. That's the book that Revelation's really talking about. I want to show you a little metaphor. You okay with a little metaphor? It's from a news story by NBC News. Let's watch.
2: For America, baseball is a pastime. For Juan Catalan, oh, man. <laughs> it's a
0: lifesaver. I can be you know, on death row right now. His
2: story, which sounds more like the plot of a legal drama, is featured in a new Netflix documentary called Long Shot. It begins in 2003 when Catalan was arrested for murdering a 16-year-old girl. And I think that I was speechless for like five minutes. A witness claimed he was at the scene of the shooting, but Catalan was actually at an L.A. Dodgers game. He just had to prove it. I got this story um, that I wasn't expecting. Working with attorney Todd Melnick, they discovered a TV show was filming at the stadium that night. HBO's Curb Your Enthusiasm, starring Larry David. I'm sitting all the way up there. So Melnick combed through all of the raw footage, hoping to spot his client among the thousands in attendance. And we were watching tape after tape after tape, and finally he showed up on tape number five. And when you saw that, what did you think? Well, I jumped out of my chair and I pointed that screen and I said, that's him. That's him. Roll that back. That video helped make Catalan a free man. We have a pretty special bond. He, he's uh, he's just he's a good man with a good soul.
1: Do you feel the love that that attorney had for his client? I want you to know that's the love Jesus has for you times a million. I want you to know that Jesus is your defense attorney. I want you to know that when he keeps records, it's for our benefit. You know, you think about that? If Jesus is keeping records to our benefit so that the devil can't lie about us, and Jesus has a record for our benefit, not because he's holding a grudge, not because he's trying, but so that the record will be true and honest because we can't count on Satan to do that. And so when Jesus keeps a record, it's for your benefit. He's for you, not against you. He loves you and he cares about you. If you don't believe me, Let's read this. As surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of wicked people. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways so they can live. Turn, turn from your wickedness, O people of Israel. Why should you die? God's desire is not for you to have death. His desire is life. And for those of you who are saying, well, what about that whole hell thing? That's a sermon we're going to do later because I've got good news for you. The Bible says that there is not an eternal hell. That's what the Bible really says. And when we talk about the final destruction of the wicked, it's merciful. And it brings peace and harmony back to a hurting world. It's not God's vindictiveness. It's God's Goodness. That's the good news. What's the difference? There's a difference between accountability and grudge holding. Today, I'm not telling you that you need to forget the bad things that have been done to you. People need to be accountable for what they do. You can't let people abuse you. Accountability is is righteous and right. God holds us accountable, but what he doesn't do is hold a grudge. What's a grudge? A grudge is when you hold somebody in your debt and you'll never let them out, no matter what they do. You rehearse what they've done over and over. And if you can get even, you will. And if you can get ahead, even better. But you hold this person in your debt. God doesn't do that to us, and we can't do that to others. I challenge you this week, practice changing your thoughts when you've been hurt. Change it from how you've been hurt to how God has loved and blessed you. So as you're thinking about the pain someone's caused, I'm not telling you to forget it necessarily, because you may need to do that for your own safety. But what I am telling you to do is change the thought pattern around and think, how has God blessed me? How has God loved me? How has God forgiven me? And that way you will be perfect as your father in heaven is.
3: Hi, Pastor Ken. How are you?
1: It's sure fun to have you here. Thank you. You're welcome.
3: Church, this is a part of the service that I think is, it's one of my favorite parts of the service, but I think I I speak for a lot of people when I say that it is, um, where the church can ask questions and you answer them. And... If the congregation has any questions now, go feel free to send them in. If they're not answered now, they'll be answered later in the podcast.
1: Yeah, we have a church podcast, if you didn't know that. Um, I actually paid for a bunch of desserts this last week. That's pretty fun for people who listened and showed up, you know. So anyway, just saying, listen well, to the podcast. This is whole life. Please do. Everywhere podcasts can be found.
3: Yeah. Yes. So I have a couple questions here for you.
1: Do you or do our do our viewers?
3: Well, both. Make sure both. Okay. Yeah. So, first question. Isn't it important to keep a list of wrongs to protect myself from those who want to hurt me again?
1: Wow. That's a a good question. From those who want to to hurt you again. Um, I don't know that keeping a list is probably the most healthy way. I think having an understanding of who people is... Is helpful. Um, so if you know that there is somebody who's destructive in your life, knowing that is enough. But sometimes what I see people do is they they make a long list. And that list is simply there to prove that that person is who we've put them in the box to be. You're this way. And if you do something that's outside of that box, I shove you right back in because that's that's not who you are. And I've determined that you're something different. And so usually that's what happens with lists. We use them to push people back to where we think they belong. And so I don't necessarily think keeping a list of how people have hurt us um, is the best way to go about dealing with the hurts. Now, that being said, I also want people to be safe. And if somebody is being abusive, getting out of that situation is very important.
3: Yes, it is. So you're saying that, you know, keeping a physical list or even a mental list of wrongdoings is destructive in itself.
1: It's very destructive. I could, you know, I thought about just going the medical route and citing you the caseload of studies that have shown that people who hold grudges, who are angry and who are bitter, the health implications, it's crippling. Um, it's, it's debilitating both physically and emotionally to do that. And so I feel like most of us understand that. I think that most human beings kind of get that when we hold grudges, I think the hard part for us is not doing it to not have that list that we hold on to.
3: Gotcha. Okay. Switching over to another device. I was thought growing up that my judgment will come with what I'm doing at the moment of my death. So if I'm doing something sinful, I am condemned. Does God look at my whole life to judge me or my last act before dying? And can my name be taken out of the book of life once it's in?
1: Can your name be erased from the book of life? That's So what a good question. Um, I grew up, by the way, believing that exact same thing. Um, it was very important to me that I, if I sinned, I quickly asked for forgiveness. I remember... Um, attending a church where I had a a pastor suggest that we needed to keep a notebook with us so that we could write down every time we sinned, to write the sin down so that we could be sure to ask for forgiveness, because if you forgot to ask for forgiveness for one sin, you are out. Um, And um, I have come to not find that to be who God is. I have come to find that um, the real question is, is which way is my which way am I facing? Am I facing towards God or am I facing away from him? It's not so important. The slip ups that I make is the direction that I'm wanting to be headed and where I've asked God to send me. Um, and so that's my encouragement to you today. It's, um, you know, obviously we should avoid doing things that, that are not, that are sinful, right? We should do that. Why? It's because God's given us that because he loves us. This is a list of things that actually leads to healthy behavior and good outcomes. This is God's love for us. But when we do make mistakes, we have somebody who's already died for those mistakes and who loves us, and we don't have to live in crippling fear. I want you to read the last part of that question again, if you don't mind, because I wanted to make sure I hit that. It was a really good question.
3: Yeah, So it says, does God look at my whole life to judge me or my last act before dying? And can my name be taken out of the book of life once I'm in?
1: So yes, your name can be taken out of the book of life. It can. Because God is not, um, because God honors your free will. And if you want him to take it out, he will. Did you catch that? If you want him to take it out, he will. And that's that. If you want him to take it out, he'll take it out. So it's up to you. God won't take your name out. But if you want your name taken out, he'll take it out. Because God is all about your free will.
3: Amen. All right. One final question. Is holding a grudge and keeping track of wrongdoings the same thing? You can be cautious by remembering without acting out, couldn't you?
1: So read that one more time. I love these questions are always so good. I want to make sure I answer them right one more time.
3: So it says, is holding a grudge and keeping track of wrongdoings the same thing? You can be cautious by remembering without acting out, couldn't you?
1: Such a good question. Um, I think that there probably is a little bit of a difference between keeping track of wrongs and holding a grudge. Uh, Unfortunately, 1 Corinthians 13 verse 5 says, does not keep track of how it has been wronged. That's what the verse says. It doesn't say it. Actually, I changed the word to grudge because I thought it was a little easier for our culture to understand that word. Um, but it really is have to do with keeping track of being wronged. Um, the problem with keeping track of how we've been wronged is that we start building accounts, right? It's like how, how we're, we're making people earn their love. If you do this this and this then I'll love you. If you do this this and this then I won't love you. But that's not how love operates. Love doesn't operate on a credit and debit system. And there's a difference between loving somebody and allowing and allowing them to to do destructive things. You do not you can love somebody that you do not spend time around because they are destructive. But the point is that you keep your heart open to a relationship with that person. Were they willing to go ahead and enter into healthy relationship? And what I find happens too often is when we keep track of that list of wrongs and we rehearse it over and over and this person did this and this, they did that and they did that and they did that, that starts blocking out the good things that they do too. And so I think it's good to be aware of destructive people and to be careful, but I think it's bad to keep that list and rehearse it over and over. If you know somebody's hurtful, you know they're hurtful. You don't have to go over and over what they've done to you over and over again. And I know some people say, well, I kind of do need to do that because that I need to remember because I have a tendency to forget. And if I forget, then I'm going to let it happen again. Um, and, and my my sincere sincerely would say, if that's something you're struggling with, this is, again, one of those times where it would be very good for you to find a pastor or a counselor to help you know how to to constructively deal with that hurt in a way that doesn't poison you. You know that old saying, right? Grudges is the poison that you drink, hoping that somebody else will die, right? And so what we want is for you to be healthy. We want you to be happy, and we don't want you to hold on to hurt and pain. At the same time, we want you to be safe. And so sometimes it's good to find a professional, somebody who can help you if you are in that kind of a situation, um, to know the right way to work with it. You know, I've, I've had to work with people in my life that were destructive and to figure out the right way to deal with it. Even as a pastor, I've gone and gotten counseling because I just didn't know how to, how to engage them. Because I was too close to it. And so I just encourage you, it's a good thing to, to reach out and look for help um, when you when, when you're in that kind of a situation. Agree.
3: Well thank you so much. And church, if you asked a question and it wasn't answered today, or if you have any other questions, still feel feel free to message us on Facebook with your questions. It's gonna be answered in the podcast again. And thank you for having me this week.
1: You did a good job, Gabby.
3: Thank you. Thanks yeah. for taking it easy on me. <laughs>
1: Aren't you glad that you serve a loving God? Aren't you glad you go to church with loving people? Don't you want to be a loving person? Me too.
0: Hi, this is Randy McGray, podcast producer and host here at Whole Life Church. Loving people into a lifelong friendship with God is our mission at the Whole Life Church. and our podcasts, Speaking of Grace and its companion, 15 with Andy, Randy, and Jeff, are designed to help facilitate conversations that help us grow together in that pursuit. Now that you've heard the message for this week, don't forget to check out the whole life takeaways for this message. Swipe up in today's show notes and join the conversation. Speaking of conversations, each Wednesday morning we take a closer look at the week's message. That's right, the one you just listened to. We discuss practical ways to apply spiritual lessons and ask honest questions about the issues we face as Christians all focused through the lens of grace. Your voice is a welcomed addition to that conversation. We encourage your thoughts and your questions by sending a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or send an email to podcast at wholelife.church. You can find everything podcast-related on our website, podcast.